Hey, it's Burton Shaolo. And this is Savannah Hart, and you're listening to the Black Box Podcast. As someone who is more of a consumer when it comes to sneakers than a flipper, um, I have paid 3x, 5x for certain sneakers and begrudgingly, but you know, I gotta have that flame on my feet. This is the most publicized, the most hyped, the most, you know, heavily salivated over aspect of the game, but it's really just scratching the surface of these companies' bottom lines. Hey guys, welcome to the Black Box Podcast, where we have conversations with key industry leaders to shed light on the inner workings of their respective industries. Today we have two lawyers and respectively sneakerheads, Kenneth Anon and Jared Goldstein. Kenneth Anon is former general counsel and business development of Yeezy and currently founded his own fashion development agency, 380 Group. And Jared Goldstein is former complex, experienced sneaker reseller and currently legal counsel at Live Intent. The two lawyers have recently teamed up to make a new book called Sneaker Law, which is essentially the legal Bible of the sneaker industry. So, Kenneth and Jared, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate your time. Nice to be here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Of course. Um, so, I would love to jump in with one, what essentially does sneaker law comprise of? And what inclined you guys to make a book like this? Why did you feel like the industry needed this? Sure. I can uh, kick it off. I mean, sneaker law is exactly what you said. It's the Bible for the sneaker industry. Um, you know, although it's called sneaker law, it's not restricted only to legal aspects of the sneaker business. It's um, business as well. So um, we have chapters on many different facets of the business, including how to start your own sneaker business, um, you know, licensing, manufacturing, design. We have a beautiful design section that goes into how to become a sneaker designer. We have a section on reselling and counterfeits. And we have this uh, very robust collaboration se- section, which is beautiful. It's like this 60 page color, um, you know, history of all the beautiful c- collaborations that have come up in the sneaker business. And then, of course, we have the legal sections, which um, are most exciting to people because they just don't have access to the kind of knowledge that we're giving them. And you guys have actually taught some of this in actual law schools like Harvard, Miami, Brooklyn, right? How has it been received? Is that something that they feel like they are missing from their curriculums? Yeah, I mean, it's been amazing. Um, You know, we've uh, hit, as you mentioned, we just finished our first um, sneaker law course, an actual course at the University of Miami Law School. Um, We're gearing up for a couple more courses in the fall 2021 semester. Um, we've lectured at, I think about 15 schools, you know, just individually, just one-off lectures as well. Um, you know, we've had Harvard law school, Howard, um, UNC, USC, Cardozo. We actually did this week just to name a few. Um, and, uh, you know, the reception has been amazing. Um, you know, we've also had some guest speakers join on some of our classes. So we had Don C, um, pull up, you know, in Harvard, we had a, a mock, uh, sneaker deal. And the students didn't know he was showing up. So we had a group that was representing Don and a couple other parties in the deal. And they just bugged out. It was crazy. But, you know, it's, it's really been an amazing reception. You know, what we're trying to do is we're trying, you know, we're teaching, we're not reinventing any wheel here. You know, we're teaching the same business and legal concepts that have been taught for years and years and years, but we're using, we're using sneakers as the vehicle and, you know, the students have just been receiving it, you know, so well, you know, they, 
they just think it's so cool and engaging. You know, the book um, is just really beautiful the way it looks, obviously inside and out. Um, you know, it's bred after the, uh, the OG Jordan one. Um, we have a shoelace as the, uh, the bookmark. It's full color images, you know, which you don't really see in textbooks. Uh, foil stamping, emboss, deboss. Um, it's like a coffee table book too. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's really been overwhelming. You know, people have just been going crazy over it and we're really excited. Yeah. I think it's dope because I think we as sneakerheads and as business people know that the market has matured and it continues to mature. Like you hit on, first of all, I have a lot to say right now, but I'm fucking pissed that I don't have this book. Like Savannah, I'm Savannah, Savannah, you so sold actually, yourself short because so actually, I know you worked on it. Burton helped me get launch. Matt Halfhill Half from Nice Kicks. That we'll get you a copy, it, so. Yeah, like, I just don't understand. Like she's like, yo, you got any contacts in the sneaker industry? I'm like, oh, DePaula, Halfhill, you know, a couple of NBA guys that are sneakerheads. But I can't get a book. Like Sorry, this is crazy I, to me. Oversight, and, oversight. And then, and then, so I'm pissed. I'm doubly pissed about it. I was, forgot I was pissed months ago this is just from bringing it all back but that the chapters that you guys mention are things that savannah and i our producers talked about as topic points for today yeah. but i think the first thing my mind gravitates to is this explosion of the resale business and you know my first thought is where is the cap here right um it is a multi-billion dollar resale business right and before we get into like the consumerism and the culture of like and the idea of bots and all that stuff what's your like general disposition about the idea of using round numbers a hundred dollar sneaker at retail costs you a thousand dollars right i mean i i don't know what the average is i don't have the stats in front of me but it's three to five x at minimum right I'll let, uh, I'll, I'll let Jared speak to this because he's the reselling guru. I mean, he had a, a reselling business in college, and I'll let you take it away, bro. I mean, it really depends. You, probably, you on... paid for your law degree with res- reselling sneakers? <laughs> yeah, can't make it up. Um, <laughs> I mean, it really depends on what, what POV you're looking at it from. I mean, from the brand's perspective, I mean, don't let them fool you as much as they try to act like they're against reselling. It's actually amazing for them. You know, it brings them it's to kind of the brand. Yeah, it creates you know, the whole hype culture. Exactly. Yeah. Brand awareness, hype, makes you want to buy other products. And uh, consumers are constantly glued, you know, to their phones for the brands, you know, in, in anticipation of what's dropping mm-hmm. next. I mean, I still have like Twitter notifications enabled for Nike and there's like no need because of the sneakers app, but it's just been like that since like 2014 when I turned right, it on. Right. And it's just like, you know, everybody is just looking for what's next. And, um, I mean, you know, what happened with the XVP and Nike son, I mean, that's bringing a lot of attention to it now, um, you know, where the brands might have to start, you know, acknowledging it publicly. I mean, Nike at the time when that happened, it was like, I think it was the first time they ever publicly acknowledged bots outside of their you know, terms of service, you know, right. the privacy policy. Um, so that's going to be interesting. I mean, I, you know, they're definitely not for bots, but it's, you know, that's really just cat and mouse game. When you say they're definitely not for bots, you're saying Nike's not for bots. Yeah, I would say Nike, you know, and and the brands, I mean, you know. But uh, I don't think they're against bots. I think, sorry to interrupt, but I think that. You think they just say that because they have to? No, I think that driving the price up is good. Even though the money doesn't go in Nike's pocket, it's good for, like we said, the hype game. And it's the bots that drive it. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a, 
It's a consumer who purchases it, right? Or, or maybe even a better analogy than cars. It's now art. Now it, you drove it to a price where a it's a collect, it's a collector's item. It's art to be di- yeah. displayed. However, you display your art, right? And now the value of it can increase because we got it to this threshold. So I, I agree with Jared here that I don't think yeah. they're like. Uh, lobbying for bots, but they're also not lobbying against it. Like, so answer this directly. What is your POV on, on the idea of, for lack of a better word, inflated pricing in the resale market? Yeah. I mean, I think it's great for the culture. You know, it's, uh, it brings height. Like we, like we talked about, it, it allows people to make money in this game and become entre- entrepreneurs. I mean, that's what I did when I was in college. Right. I learned great business skills doing it. It, it allowed, platforms like StockX and, you know, go to come into the game, which also I think is great exposure just for the industry overall. And it just makes it exciting. I'll, I'll give the, I'll give the, the opposite point of view as someone who yep. is more of a consumer when it comes to sneakers than a flipper. Um, I have paid three X, five X for certain sneakers and begrudgingly, but you know, I gotta have that. I mm-hmm. gotta have that flame on my feet. Um, it's also frustrating when kids can't get, uh, playstations or xboxes at christmas time like you know there there's definitely a difficult side to it and a frustrating side to it but i also point out that the hype game is really um and i heard this stat recently i can't verify it's, if, if it's completely accurate but i heard that the hype game is only about 15 percent of the actual business yep. of these brands right so so we, like this is the most publicized the most hyped and the most um you know uh, you know, heavily salivated over aspect of the game, but it's really just scratching the surface of these companies' bottom lines, and they're going to be fine, you know, without yeah, that. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. I Yeah, agreed, Kenneth, and what you guys are touching on is stuff that we talked about yeah. in all of our production meetings, the idea of entrepreneurship, because this market is so healthy, financially healthy, right? Jared said he had a business flipping sneakers, right? There's no difference between flipping sneakers and flipping houses, right? It's a healthy business to be in, right? Okay, so here, here's the other part of it, right? Jared said it's good for the culture. The hype game's good for the culture. We get the PR. But my counter to that is that kid who actually is setting the culture, he don't get a chance. Like, Yeah, mm-hmm. but but I think kids... Kids are always going to get fly no matter what. Right. And like, mm-hmm. right. even if they can't buy the Travis Scott ones, they're going to find a way to look fly and set the culture. Right. So it's like saying That's it's like saying every kid set. should buy Louis Vuitton. Like, no, they're going to find something else fly to make as dope as that. And we're all going to like look at them and be like, yo, how do you That's get fair. So I have a mix. So my POV on my own question is I agree with the capitalism. I'm a capitalist. I struggle with the idea, although Kenneth made the right point, which is they're going to always figure out, the the kids are always going to figure out how to shape the culture. So that's the right point. That makes me feel better. But I struggle with the idea of like, so you got to pay this much just to be in the game? Like, that's crazy to me. Um, So limited edition, Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant. What do you guys, what's your perspective on what happened with the deal running out with the Bryant estate deciding not to renew with there's little information out there i spoke to someone at nike last night that specifically works on kobe wow so i have a little bit of perspective but not a ton a little bit um because 
he or she, I will not reveal sources, did not, like, was not involved in the negotiation part of it. But what's your perspective on what happened? So, uh, yeah, I'll kick it off. I mean, first of all, we all know it didn't work out, right? So what does that mean? When, a, when an extension isn't agreed to and the parties can't come to terms on, on an extension of an already existing deal, which everybody thinks is going great, there's obviously something that's not going great. Right. Otherwise, if everything was right. hunky dory and like the parties were having a great time making tons of money, they would have extended a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Facts. Yeah. Facts. So something's right. not going right. Now, we know that Vanessa and even Kobe, before he passed away, um, was vocal about the fact that they wanted wider distribution. Right. So that that's their biggest yep. gripe. They wanted wider distribution. Maybe they want a distribution akin to LeBron, akin to Jordan. Maybe Kobe wasn't as widely distributed. I don't know the numbers on the distribution for Kobe's, but I do mm-hmm. know that they're harder to get your hands on than a pair of LeBron's or a pair of Jordan's, yeah. um, especially in his retirement. You know, and so I think they already had some beef with that. I think they were looking for a similar deal akin to Jordan and, and, and LeBron. And maybe his sneakers weren't as popular and maybe they were saying, OK, well, our ability to create new silhouettes is somewhat limited. You know, um, there could be many workings of it, but whatever whatever the case was, it didn't work out. And what does that mean? You know, now that it you know, now that it hasn't worked out, what does that mean? What does that mean for what is it, what's your speculation? Well, I think really quick, I, I think it's what's interesting about it is that Nike has lifelong partnerships with Michael Jordan and LeBron James, who came after Kobe and Kobe didn't have a lifelong partnership. Vanessa specifically said she was looking to form a lifelong partnership. And it was obvious that that the Kobe's were doing well because currently on the court, I think it's 103 basketball players wear Kobe's and the next runner up after that are the Kyrie's and it's only 57 players yes. that wear Kyrie's Correct. on the court. And I, and I, mean, I, think the, the well. I think they do very well as a performance shoe. In fact, Kobe was always trying to retool his shoes. That's why they call them pro pros, right? They're not retro. They're pro pros because he upgraded the performance of, of his re-releases to match, you know, the way the game has changed. And so they're great on the court shoes. Now, does that translate into like widespread casual sneaker wearing? I don't know. Mm. Like I, I've, I only own one pair of Kobe's myself. I got the new Grinches and they went up in value, like almost double since this announcement. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So I, so I, I, I'm, this is speculation. I've worn Kobe's. They are great performance shoes. That's not speculation. I think that what I'm speculating is this. I think they drew, (laughs) (laughs) they're great performance shoes. They are. I think, I, I, I think Kenneth is onto something. Like maybe there was internal auditing being done where it's like, if we release this at the level of LeBron, the, the numbers, we might not sell as much, right? So maybe keeping it a limit. At, you know, you're almost controlling the market by ke- and making it feel exclusive, right? It's so hard to get Kobe's. It's so hard to get Kobe's. Yet one fourth or one fifth of the league is wearing Kobe's, right? So like, yo, I really want to be Devin Booker, but shit, I can't get a hold of these. You're creating the market, the demand that way, right? Like we did that with Wade when we launched Way of Wade in 2012. Every time we did a U.S. release. So China's different, and we can get to China later in the conversation. But every time we did a U.S. release, we would do like this custom color and limited run. That's it in the U.S. So we drive up the market sure. one price wise, so that we could justify charging two hundred bucks 
Um, and that's really, this is 2012, 2013 when I've I really got like, get a pair, onto I remember. the resale game. I'm, I'm, I'm like, from Miami. I'm a, I'm a big Heat fan, so. Yo, you should have <laughs> called me. You should have called me, bro. I had, I had stocks. I'm just not like greedy. I never resold them. I just gave them away. But like, we drove up the market to where we could justify 200 bucks. And then, um, it felt like when you, when you only have a thousand sneakers, which is not a lot of sneakers and you sell out over a weekend, you feel good. You feel like, yo, I sold out. You don't say I sold out only a thousand. You say I sold out. Sure. And so I obviously it's a larger scale with Kobe, but I think some of that is the marketing. Be- I, I, this is speculation. I'm, this is not, this is how I would play it. If I were Nike, but also, so, but also, let me just throw this out there: Is it that every NBA player is wearing Kobe's because they're a superior performance shoe, or is it out of respect because he passed away last year? Combination, combination, definitely a combination, right? Like, you know, Demar Derozan said, "I'm never wearing anything else. I'm wearing Kobe. I, Kobe was my idol. He died. All that stuff." Like, but it's a combination, right, mm-hmm. Kenneth? It, and and those guys either have a real deal, like Devin Booker, or not a real deal. Meaning, like, they get six figures, like Bradley Beal. Or they're just straight getting merch. That's it. Like, they're not getting... And so, if I got a hundred grand worth of merch, again, using round numbers, and I'm the backup point guard for the Memphis Grizzlies, all right, give me a bunch... Give me a hundred grand worth of Kobe, right? Like, because like, it's a good performance shoe, sure. right? So, and it looks... Honestly, it looks fire, if Still. we're being honest. Like, it's a... Right? The, I actually think the, the LeBron's... Pro- progressively get better yeah. but they're big like they're heavy they're yeah. big and i think it's a clunky not shoe sp- it's a clunky shoe right. it is right not to spend too much i don't know if you guys are hoopers but not to spend too much time on hoops like you know i don't want to wear heavy shoes i'm already slow as fuck like i'm gonna wear heavy shoes like that ain't gonna help two different style <laughs> players so they just built it right, for them right you know? right and different style brands but, but you you made a good point right. on the different tiers of type of um partnerships and deals that players could have and i would love to because i'm i'm kind of like coming into into this sneaker deal business because i think we mentioned this on one of our podcasts but in specifically in sports at least in basketball, the biggest contract besides the one you're making with the team is the shoe deal. It's always the shoe deal. Yep. It's always the shoe deal. Yep. So I would love to know, and I think you guys talk about this in your book from a lawyer perspective on whether it's like trade secrets, negotiation terms and things you should know going in from your perspective. And then also Burton, from your perspective as a salesperson, in between the lawyers and the shoe company and the and the athlete, lawyers can always go first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So as you mentioned in our book, we have a chapter dedicated to the art of the sneaker deals, what we call it, mm-hmm. which is solely you know solely for sneaker deals and the deal terms that are included in those agreements. Um, and our goal there was to empower the designer, the collaborator, the endorser, athlete. Sometimes even the, you know, also the brand, because, you know, we both, we show both sides of the coin as well, or anyone else, you know, looking to enter into a deal. And we arm you with essential knowledge um, about these deals and how they're structured and what to negotiate with respect to those terms. Um, And first and foremost, intellectual property. So, you know, whether it's a license, a collab, an endorsement, well, let's go through some of the the, the deals. So you have, you can have a license deal, you can have a collab, an endorsement, influencer deal promotions, advertisements, and there's also others. Um, so no matter what the deal is, you know, trademarks, copyrights, patents, they all have to be considered. Um, IP ownership, you know, who's going to own any of the IP uh, that's created in association with yeah. the deal. 
Um, will it be any licensing of IP? So with Kobe, mm-hmm. um, it was reported that he, his estate owns, yep. you know, some of those trademarks. So in that deal, it would be interesting to know, you know, how, how those terms looked in terms of the license, you know, what the territory yep. was, um, whether it was exclusive, was it assignable, is it limited or in perpetuity, meaning forever, yep. um, what the scope is. So, you know, overall, what can the IP be used for? Um, you know, there's been a lot of speculation on whether Nike can release those in the future. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's impossible to say unless we actually see, you know, see the deal, but those terms is, are, you know, what you would look for. Are people reaching out to um, you guys in in, it's about the Kobe yeah, stuff? Ahead. Like are people reaching out to you for your opinion about the Kobe stuff or people yeah. ask, asking you to write something on it? Because Jared, all those things you just mentioned are all things that are valid and really interesting to see how it'll play out and could be interesting a year from now, two years from now, right? Like, like you said, five years from now, like, and all things I didn't think about in the last 48 hours. And these are all, and my experience with Nike, I love Nike. I don't want it to come off like I don't love Nike. I love Nike. Um, my experience with them has always been, here's the contract. Deal points are negotiable, but everything else, not negotiable. Yeah. You know, yeah. so that's always been my experience with them. And maybe I never had the opportunity to have the leverage of what LeBron has and what Kobe has, right? Like there, there's le- different leverage points, right? When you're negotiating with certain Yeah, and that's, and that's kind of what I want to touch on. Like what level do you necessarily have to be on in order to own your own intellectual property or have certain licensing? Because, I mean, we saw, we saw it happen with Kawhi and Nike where yeah. there was a huge problem with intellectual property. Was that on his lawyers? Was it on Nike? I think like it just depends. It depends on how do I say this the right way? How badly does Nike want you? Right? Like, you know, LeBron created all his leverage because of his on-court performance, first and foremost, and everything else that comes off the court with him, including the content, including building an empire, including being at the front lines of the social justice conversation. But Kawhi apparently had leverage and he just didn't know about no, it didn't. until they well, produced I'll, it. I'll after. explain what no, happened with Kawhi. I mean, Kawhi signed with Nike first. And for whatever yeah. reason, the partnership was not successful, but the two of them created his logo together. So they jointly own the rights to that logo. Got so when it. he went to New Balance and he tried to use the glove, they were like, no, 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 we own this, you know, right. or at least we own part of it. Okay. So let's say, let's say I don't, let's say I have a great player and I don't want to go to Nike. You're saying that can my player make more money and have more intellectual property if we go to like a leaning or something like that? Well, uh, that's what Wade did eventually, right? Hmm. But Wade was on the back nine of his career, and this was a lifetime opportunity for him that, you know, to be frank, when the Converse deal ran out for Wade, nothing went well for him after that. Like, the Jordan stuff didn't go well. Like, they couldn't sell a shoe for him. He and his team have very specific strategies. So, he had one opportunity. Yeah. And that was... It's very, it's very difficult for, especially in Nike's eyes, for you to, as a celebrity, as an athlete, for you to go to another brand and then come back or even be at another brand and then join them. Like, they don't want that conversation. They want to be the only ones. Yeah, and, and Kobe overcame that, right? He did, with, with the, Adidas. Right. He, he's one of the few that overcame it, right? But you're, you're, you're dead on, Kenneth. Like, they don't want... they they and, and the marketing machine is efficient, so... They have, they have their leverage, right? Like, um, so anyways, 
again, hard pivot, customization. Do we think, wow, very hard pivot. Yeah, sorry. Because here's, here's the issue. I got here's whiplash. the issue. Yeah, I, I, if, 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 I should have said this at the top of the show. Like, there are so many deep rabbit holes we can go down. So many. Right? Like, we love and, this. We love this. Right. Oh, do we, do we, is this a six part series or a one hour podcast? Right? Like, right. Like, that's why I'm hard pivoting. You know, it might be a case where we get you guys on or, or, or do multiple episodes, but like, there were so many things we've talked about that I wanted to talk with you guys uh, about. I told you guys, I was like, Burton's very excited to have this conversation. Hi, hi. I like, I like, I like this industry. <laughs> Funny part is, I, my, at my peak, I had 383 sneakers. I'm good. That's insane. insane. And you live in New York City. Like, do you Yo, even have this? No, it was this, insane. I was living in a, the no, I was living in a two bedroom in the East Village, and I just had like a come to. I'm I'm not Christian. A come to Ganesh moment where I was like, <laughs> Yo, like, I, I got way too many sneakers. Like, this is not healthy. Um, all right, customization, Mosh, the chef, all this stuff. What is any of that? Customization is basically like so <laughs> Mosh, Mosh the chef. I, I know customization. Yeah, yeah but Mosh, Mosh is one of the the leading sneaker artists in the game. Right? Mm. Like LeBron will send him a pair of sneakers, he'll paint on them, send it back. So is something like that similar to what happened with the whole Lil Nas X Satan shoe, where he had like a creative agency yes. make the shoe? Yes, is similar. That, is that technically so a cu- customization? So a customization but- versus a bootleg. A custom a customization is when you buy the actual sneaker. And then you mm-hmm. transform it in your lab, in your studio, whatever. And then you sell it for more or less, same price, whatever you do. Um, that's a customization. A bootleg is when you get a, a product that is not manufactured legitimately in a Nike or in another brand's factory. And then you make it your own in some other way. So that's the Warren mm-hmm. Lotus example. That's the, you know, the, the dunk with the Freddy Krueger on it or the dunks with the Statue of Liberty on it, whatever, you know. Those are bootlegs. How how bad is the bootleg market? I don't follow that market at all. Like, is it bad? Is Nike trying to kill everything out there? That's- oh, wait, also, I, I have a quick question before before we move on from that. So, technically, if Lil Nas X bought the shoes from Nike and had it customized, would they not have been able to sue? I mean, it's a, a very interesting case, and it's settled. But Nike was just really... You know, they were trying to save face because there was a lot of consumer confusion that was out there. Yeah. They thought that Nike had some involvement with it. And, um, you know, if you're a sneakerhead, you you most likely knew that Nike had nothing to do with it. But if you're talking like middle America, you're really who makes up most of Nike's market share. You know, people who are buying running shoes and apparel yeah. and, you know, they're, they're going to Twitter and they're seeing all this craziness about, you know, the mischief sneaker thinking that it's Nike and they were, you know, bo- playing the boycott. Mm-hmm. Nike had to set the record yeah. straight. So, you know, that's why they sued. But I think they had a, a really strong trademark dilution claim, which, um, right. you know, they injected, um, you know, human blood into the air bubble. There was Satan imagery all over the sneaker. Mm-hmm. Um, they could argue that there was unfavorable views that, uh, you know, that Nike, that, uh, you know, resulted as a result right. due to the sneaker. So they had to defend themselves and that's what they did. And, um, you know, it settled and they um, agreed to have uh, Mischief offer um, recalls to sneakers to, to buy buy them back. But I think Nike at the end of the day was just trying to set the record straight. Yeah, that's, that's controversial. I forgot what the law is. Maybe Jared, you know it off the top of your head. But like if I buy a pair of Nikes 
and customize it, like paint, have Mosh paint on it. Let's say I buy a hundred dollar pair, I pay Mosh another two hundred bucks, and I sell them for five hundred. I can do that yeah. all day long. That's not illegal. It's called the first sale doctrine. Yeah, right, right, exactly. That's what it's called. Mm. Yep. Yeah. All right, Kenneth. All right, I threw it to Jared. Literally I, a lawyer. I know, I know. I, I, I should have said it to for Kenneth and Jared. Sorry, no, yeah, no, that's right. That's right. Like you know, you like, buy a Mercedes, you customize, paint it. I can resell that Mercedes. Fair. Right. I buy a Mercedes for fifty, custom paint it for twenty. Right, right, right. So, but I think what Jared was mentioning with the Lil Nas and I didn't follow it closely like that stuff was weird to me um, so I, like, anything that's weird I don't want to follow it like I'm, I'm done listening to it um, so you didn't pop you didn't buy no, it though I'm not they're not one of your 24 no, definitely not, not the whole thing was weird to me like it was weird I didn't even follow the story because I just I don't want to deal with this but yeah I think what Jared is mentioning is like detriment to the brand that's yes. when it becomes yeah. right yeah. like that's well, when it I actually, so it. i looked at at the lawsuit and it was like one of it was like copyright infringement and then another one was detriment to the brand so that's why i asked if it was specifically because they bought it and i'm sorry specifically because they made it as if they bought it from nike but it seems like they would have still had a case even if they did buy the shoes and, and customize it because it was still a detriment to the brand to the case where people were boycotting Nike. Right. I think that's Jared's point, right? Yeah. The, the mother of three in Iowa yes. is like, okay, we're buying we're buying Reebok now. We're not buying yeah, Nike 100%. anymore. Right. So, so they had a case either right, way. Right. That's Got where it. the detriment to yeah. the brand comes in, right? Cause, it makes sense. Uh, okay. So do, do we like, do we not like customization? Do we think it's bad for the market? Do any of us... I don't customize, but anyone, anyone here I don't, customize? I've never bought a customized shoe. I have not, but I like it. Yeah. Yeah, I like it too. It's I think it's great for the culture. Um, and uh, there's a lot of really cool things that happen from it. And there's also been, you know, times when customizers work for these brands. I mean, look at John Biger. Right. He was, you know, misplacing checks for Nike on, you know, his versions of Nike on Air Force Ones. And then he went on to work with them. I, you know, he worked on the Darrell Rivas sneaker and I think some other things as well. So I think it's great. Yeah, I think to the brand. I think it's the easiest entree into the sneaker game for designers, right? Like it's like yep. tier one. You know, you want to be a sneaker designer, first try your hand at like switching out uppers with new materials, colors, do your own thing. It's like a DIY project for sneaker designers. And if you yeah. cripple that, then like where do the future designers come from? I feel like Yeah, and 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 what I said earlier in the show is the maturation of this. Uh, business, right? The idea that there's design schools, right? Like back in the day, it was like, I'm good at art. Let me get an internship with Nike if I can get lucky. And then, oh shit, all of a sudden I'm a designer and blah, blah. Now you go to design school at, when you're 18 and you learn how to make a sneaker. Like that's how much the but business they, has matured. Do, do they teach these types of things in fashion schools? Some. Like sneakers specifically? Some. Right. And it's and, yeah, and not to promote yeah. your book too much, but that's where your book's going to go eventually, right? Yes. Now you got a kid right. who's a 1L who's like, oh shit, I could take this as a 2L and really learn about this business and maybe one day be the general counsel for Adidas or whatever. So like there's the, the market is growing, right? Yeah. And that, that to, but also you know, just as idea. important as to the law student, like it is to the designer. And for example, our book is now required reading at Parsons for the fall of 2021. And every, gra- every graduating senior will be looking at our book and saying, okay, well, this is what I need to arm myself with when I'm out in the real world and I have to do a yep. deal. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're a sneakerhead or a sneaker designer, you should know this stuff. Yeah, that's dope. I have a funny story. I think I was in the second grade and I took, I had a pair of all white Air Force Ones. And at the time, like in the music videos and mm-hmm. everything and hip hop, like they were wearing like Louis, Louis custom Air Forces and Gucci custom Air Forces. 
So I took my mom's Gucci bucket. Oh, oh God. This is going cut it off. I know where this is going. Yeah, yeah, I love this stuff. Uh, you. I cut it up and it ended up turning out terribly. Of course. Uh, for the sneaker and for, you know, my next two weeks because I was grounded. <laughs> but uh, that was my only um, venture into sneaker customization. Now I just report on it. Right. right. On it, but, I know. probably I, traumatized. I never, I never customized, but my best, my move was... In third grade, I really wanted the Ewings. Yeah. Like the Pat, you know what I'm saying? The Patrick Ewing joints. Wow, those are old school. I'm old. This is what happens. No, but I actually, I I know about it. So, So, but again, my mom's like, you know, we were middle class. It's not like they couldn't have got me the sneakers, but my mom's not going to spend more than, this is like, she's not spending more than $20. I was about to say, my my mom's not spending triple digits at all. My mom wasn't going to spend 50 bucks. Like, nah. That's not how this works. You can pick whatever you want, but in this budget. And so, and on, you know, and on the real, I'm not ashamed to say this. Like, we used to buy our sneakers before school start. you know, in the fall, before yeah, school you started. Yeah, you go school shopping. Yeah, you go school shopping. We used to buy at a Payless. Like, that's where I got my sneakers. So I, I, like, I went to Skechers, and I got so made fun of, which yeah. is why I'm, like, low-key sneaker Um <laughs> We but all have like probably a story. We all have like a story. That. So Kenneth, you gotta tell we all gotta go around. Yeah, so, I got one. So, so so the way it netted out was I was mad stressed because I'm like twenty dollars. What am I gonna get in here that I'm not gonna get killed for? And it was I ended up getting they had these New York like the New York Knicks licensed out their sneakers to Payless. I think and it I was like black this. and orange and blue and it said like and it was real. It wasn't like the bootleg shit. It was like the real license. I'm like, oh, what's this joint? And it was black, which I liked. So I got those. And I was a little nervous on day one because I'm like, <laughs> yo, I don't have the Ewings. I'm, this can go either way. This is like, this is a real test of like, is this shit hot? I thought it was hot. So this I'm is like, really how sneakers work too. Yeah. Like it's such a I thing. Wa- and totally. they, I was the... I was the man. They were like, yo, how'd you get those New York Knicks? I was like, oh. I was like, yo, I was mad. Yo, I was crazy stressed about it. But what's yours? Um, okay, so I don't even remember what type what type of sneakers they were, but I remember they looked like these Air Jordans that just got released. And it was in the Nike store. So I figured I figured I would be good because they look they look kind of like the sneaker, but it's still from Nike, so it's official. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not Skechers, right? So I walk, I walk into. I remember it was Jim actually, and <laughs> and it, this is like the first time I have like my Nike, my Nike sneakers on. And like, how old are you? Or what grade are you in? I was, I was, I was in high school, so okay. I think it was like my freshman year. It okay. was my freshman year, and. And the guys from across the gym are like, yo, Sav has some new Jordans. What? That's crazy. And then like, they run across the gym oh, and God. they see it's not the Jordan. So, oh, so then I'm like the laughing dog. Like, oh, shit, there's not even a Jordan. Oh, she God. has a knockoff. It's crazy. So then, yes. And then, and then I don't think I was ever really, I think I had to just like wait until I can like work and save to actually yeah, no I, I never got another nike sneaker that wasn't like the this nike is what bothers sneakers. me about the infl- that's fair. inflation right but like, it's like i was i'm fine at the end of the day like oh, no don't doubt. get me wrong and I, I still i kenneth definitely made me feel better when he said like they're gonna figure they're it gonna out find a way yeah, yeah. they're gonna figure it yeah, out i mean like look yeah. at me now you mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> kidding all right so what's your <laughs> kind of give us your story and then i want to get uh, back all right to so two two quick ones my parents bought me the 180 barkley forces when i was in i think fifth grade and they thought yep. my feet were still growing quite a bit 
So, um, no, no, maybe this was eighth grade, but my, my feet were still growing. They thought, so they bought me a size 12 and I'm a size 11 to this day. Right. So I was rocking clown shoes like all the time. And then, um, the, the, the biggest cop for me, my parents finally caved in after I begged them for months to buy me a pair of grape, um, Jordan fives, the ones that were on fresh prints. And I took a toothbrush to those every night. I was, yeah. I was pretty spoiled. Like my parents were middle-class too, like in, in, in Jersey and, um, but they got me the kicks. I, I think I just wore them down. Yep. My, my toothbrush is key. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I, yeah. I, I still use toothbrush. I do. I do Lysol <laughs> wipes now. I buy Lysol wipes and I wipe them down with the Lysol. I use, I, I use crap wipes now. And I do it immediately. Mm. Like if you, if you just, when you get home, wipe, it's done. Like now I don't need to worry about it. I do it immediately. Um, I, my first ever, we got to get back to the business side, but my first ever signature, I wore my mom down too. It was 10th grade. I was like, ma, enough of this payless shit. Like, give me one that I can do. It was, yeah, that's how you negotiate. Yeah. It was Just on, one. One. And I was a straight A student. So it's like, yo, what yep. else can I do right yep. now? Like, I wasn't a good kid, but I was a straight A student. Uh, Agassiz. Oh, the first signature fire. shoe I ever got were the, ag- and I was like. Hot lavas? Like fr- Hot lavas? Yeah, yeah, and my friend stood, I remember this, my friend stood too close, like, right next to me to look at him. I'm like, bro, you're standing way too close right now. I just got yeah, these joints. Back up, you stand back way, up. yeah, exactly. Stand over, you can see them from over there, bro. Um, anyways, so, we like customization. You know, they use the, that sole for the Yeezy 2s, same sole. So, we, we like yeah. customization, do we like collaboration? Love or do we think that's corny? Do we think brand collaboration is cool? Okay, look at the look at the Air Jordans and the Dior's. Like that's like probably is that like not Nike's like highest? Yeah, but that's resell? primo. I, what I'm talking about is the Hardy sneakers that came out this week. What I'm talking about, like that shit came out this week. They limited ran it right, so they are specifically targeting a sneakerhead community. Right, they are specifically trying to be cool. Wait, Hardy's and who? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't peep this. Point. I think it was with Nike. God, I don't no. want to misquote. Yeah, honestly, on I don't even know either. So I don't want to misquote. I don't want to misquote. Nike so and Hardy's. Does it matter? Like, yes. I mean, no. I mean, does it matter from <laughs> who are you speaking of, Burton? No, no I mean, one knows. <laughs> does it matter that? I guess the, it, my question still remains. Like, do we think brand collaborations that are not pre- obviously, if you do a brand collaboration with Christian Dior, that's dope. But okay, let me let me ask you this: When Puma did the brand collaboration with uh, Ferrari, did we think that was cool? The jackets were cool, but were the sneakers cool? Not really. Not really, right? Not really. Like, so but, I, I, but collaborations like, I, to us are still super exciting because there's a deal behind every one of these. Agreed. And agreed. So, From and the business yeah. side, we think it's cool. From the sneakerhead side, we like. I think this conversation falls into two buckets, the entrepreneurs right. and the consumers. And I think we are all... Both of those things, right? So, Fair. from from, I'm with you. Like we we always want business to happen. It's good for the market. What's good for the market is good for us, right? You guys are going to sell more books this way. People are going to have to read your book because if they do more <laughs> of these collaborations, I just want to have the book. Like, I, let's start with that. But we, we, we already um, we already yeah, touched no, I'm, on t- that. I'm, I'm texting Ke- Kenneth and Jared after this. I'm done with you, Savannah. You don't have their numbers. Um, so. so we got you. Anyways, so we we think collaborations are good for. Yeah, but let me just let's let's just clarify. Like, it seems like when you're talking about collaborations, you're talking about like a specific type of collab with a brand for like for a consumer product, maybe or a or or a non athlete celeb type of a deal, right? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, all right. So yeah, like like Reebok just did Candyland. Like, do I think that that's cool? Not really. Um, Right. But but you know, we think of collaborations 
much more broadly in the book. So we have athlete collaborations, we have celebrity collaborations, we have musician collaborations, and then we have miscellaneous. And we would group parties into that miscellaneous category. Right. So, so yes, to clarify, I agree with you. Collaborations as a whole is good for the business. And thank you for clarifying that. Uh, I guess what I was specifically asking about is the brand collaborations. Um, not the designer ones, not the athlete ones like you guys talked about, but like when these brands Those get kooky involved. One, the in kooky space. ones. Yeah. 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 And I, I, again, I guess it falls into two categories because I can see why they're, I, I get why they're doing it. They want a younger audience, right? They want a cool audience, right? Like, it sounds corny, but like, shit, if the cool kid goes to Hardee's to eat the hamburger, everybody else is going to go to Hardee's to eat the hamburger. Like, that's just kind of how it works when you're 15. Um, so I get, I guess I get that. So we, we do like collaborations. All right. Yeah. I mean, it depends. I mean, if it's a dope collab, right, exactly. right, it's fire. But if it's something that's whack, then it's like, okay. But to Kenneth's point, it's still know, good for the market, right? It's this. still good for the market. If, I mean, it depends. Yeah. I mean, the, way, the way I look at it as a capitalist, not as a consumer, as a sneakerhead, shit, I might be able to get into this business. I might be able to convince Fortune 200 marketing company, you'll work with me. I'll, I'll make it work for you and we'll get you a younger demo. Like, you know, I was doing a deal with the container But if the store. younger demo doesn't think it's cool, does it actually work? Because like you're talking about Hardy. And, it like, does. I mean, it does in would, some instances. Like my right. oldest son is has been a Lego head for life and I gave him the Adidas Lego, you know, collab. It went nuts, right? Yeah. It went nuts. I mean, it's so well done too. Like That's in fair. 2000, Six. I mean, I never grown, even heard of that. Club. I'm a grown. Uh, well, they but they also limited. So this goes back to the exclusivity and the coolness. Like the Hardy sneakers are limited edition. So if you're a sneakerhead or you're trying to flip, you're gonna try and get those joints, right? Um, I, I have mixed feelings about all of these topics, and uh, I, f- I feel like we all agree we can go down many, many rabbit holes. Adidas did a uh, Adidas did a Game of Thrones um, collab, and there were some colorways that were fire, and then there were some that were like you know trash, garbage. Yeah, yeah for so, sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, sometimes it hits, sometimes it doesn't. Right. That's fair. And by the way, like in the spirit of fast food, Supreme did a collab with Vans and White Castle. Right. I remember those. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember those. Yeah. But I think those went over well. If I remember, I thought the public response for that was yeah, good. Those are, they're, they're pretty fire, they? I, will okay. laugh, I have to say. You know, the, the logo was all over. The, they were low tops. I think they were skate lows. What, what, what's um, your perspective yeah, on the next clean. frontier? What's the next frontier? Is it NFTs? With sneakers, is yeah, I was gonna, crypto kicks. I was, yeah, I was, I was gonna ask because we did talk about sneakers as an art, right? And obviously, like the talk of the town right now are NFTs, um, which is basically digital collectible art um, through blockchain. And Nike just got crypto, well, not just, but they patented crypto tech, crypto kicks, um, which is blockchain technology that basically allows the sneaker owner to have some sort of digital asset tied to it. Um, So, which is ironic because I actually pitched this exact thing to a player who owns his own sneakers two years ago. But timing is everything. Anyway, I digress. Um, So do you guys think that, like, what, what do you guys think of tying sneakers to, to the crypto game? Is it going to significantly increase the value of it will people will it contribute to the hype culture because now it's more so considered art and like you can actually have a a digital footprint of your ownership um curious for thoughts yeah i mean i think it's really cool um 
you know, let's say Nike, Adidas, whatever brand it is, starts accepting crypto as currency, like Elon and Tesla mm-hmm. are doing, you know, that could be a really cool thing. Um, you know, designers can create NFTs or brands can create NFTs of different sketches or models yeah. that could turn into, um, you know, physical versions with the token later on. Um, there could just be overall general art related to, to NFTs. I think it can also be great for authentication. You know, if you if you're using NFT, NFTs and blockchain, you know, you have those tokens, and so you know, tr- tracking down authentic authenticity could really be you know cool for the consumers and the brands. I think you know the sky's the limit. I mean, who knows what can happen from this? Uh, but I think you know it will have a huge impact on. And I think I think that's what Crypto Kicks is really all about is the authentic authentication and the blockchain of it, right? So when you buy through this crypto kicks patented program, you're buying a one of one sneaker. You know, it's, you know, from the manufacturing factory to your doorstep, you can track the whole process and you know, you're getting that product. And then I guess even in the resale market, it would be trackable. Right. And that's the beauty of mm-hmm. NFTs. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's yeah. a non-fungible token that, you know, it, it gets tracked this one of one item. And you know that it can't be replicated. You know that it can't be mm-hmm. bootlegged or counterfeited. And so that's very exciting. And it can also be a game changer for counterfeiters. Like, you know, the, can, it can really decimate the counterfeit industry if done properly. 100%. What's also interesting about that is because, like, if you can track ownership, the previous owner can add so much value to the sneaker, right? Like, say it was like, like LeBron played in these or whatever, and then he and then he sells it, um, or even someone even someone or he gives them away. Yeah, but like I mean, I think the whole point is to is to make money. So let's even say like I don't know, like an actor or something like wore some sort of sneakers, and it was like I wore these sneakers in this movie or whatever right. the case may be. Yeah, it actually seems like there's a lot of potential for that. Oh my god, my about. head's gonna fucking explode. With yeah, this we NFT have like two shit. minutes though. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> my head is literally gonna explode. Their time. I don't even know how to like move on from that. Okay. Let's do this. Let's do something fun and not business. Fair. I, uh, that that's it. You're, you're moving to you're moving to a stranded uh, an island. You can't get another sneaker for the rest <laughs> of your fucking life. You get to bring one with you. That's it. You get one. What sneaker you bring with you? You can even be specific on colorway if you wanted to. Great question. Yeah, you want to go first? Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, I'm a huge red one guy, but they're just not comfortable. They're from 1985, so I need something new, new age. I love the Wave Runner, the Easy Seven Hundred. It's super comfortable. They're really comfortable. I haven't yeah. tried them. Actually, they're so comfortable. That's a good answer. Yeah, I mean, you know, if I'm on a island stranded by myself, I don't know what I'd be rocking. So they might just be just sneakers only. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so I would definitely go with the economical choice, Jared. Great choice. <laughs> yeah, I would. Uh, I'd probably go with the Jordan One, and uh, I'd probably go with the. Um, shatter backboards just because the upper is so buttery soft and like you know it looks good with everything um i mean the wave runner is super fly but there's something like i'm just old school head i like having my jordan ones and i'll sacrifice comfort for freshness real sneaker head true sneaker real head. Sneaker head. you want to go next <laughs> or you want me to go I mean, I don't honestly like. I wouldn't even want to wear sneakers to. Yeah, I'm wearing chocolate. Yeah, of course. I, I wish I had like yeah, the. I'm wearing chocolates the whole time too, right? Like, chocolates. Yeah, 
Chuppels. Chuppels are like, that's what I call flip-flops. Yeah, I know. I know it. I know very well. Yeah, there's a whole like whole story behind it. I didn't even know the word flip-flops or sandals until I was like 19. So I still say chuppels, but go ahead. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I mean, that that was basically my point, though. I don't... Like, my favorite shoes to wear are definitely, like, my Jordan 1s, but after walking in the city in those for, like, after, like, the whole day, it's it's un- it's uncomfortable. I might not walk a lot because, like, I would... So I would pick the, J, the J1s, too, and I have really, really flat feet, I do too, but I, but I but I don't find them uncomfortable because I don't tie them up, right? Yeah. Like I, just, I don't either. You're yeah, not supposed to. Yeah, you're not you supposed to. So I just you just slip your feet in the whole time, and like I guess I just don't walk that much. Like I guess I'm walking three blocks to the deli. I'm always taking the subway. I'm always if there's a seat on the subway, I'm sitting down. I'm not that guy that stands. I don't even understand. Oh, yeah. Here's a trick. Here's a trick. Buy your J ones a half a size up and put some Doctor Scholl's in them and and chill. Like you're good. Yeah, I mean that's actually really good. I I, I wear them, I wear them my actual size that and I just smart. don't tie them up. And I don't know, I don't find them uncomfortable. But if I were going comfort, Air Max, I, I just for differentiation, everybody can't pick AJ ones. That's boring as fuck. I, I I'll go Air Max ninety sevens. So fly and comfort, right? So there you go. Fuck, we did not give any love to. I mean, Adidas. Jared gave fly and comfort too. Right, we should give some love to all the other sneaker companies, right? Like who? I don't know. We just talked about Nike the whole time. I mean, Jared um, gave love to Adidas. I mean, you know, yeah, Adidas oh, too. Yeah, shout out, shout out, Adidas. I fuck with Easy Heavy too. We talk Lee Ning. We talk Lee Ning. We talk. You yeah, know. yeah. I, we should have another conversation, whether it's uh, officially on the pod or officially off the pod, because you guys are dope. This is a dope ass subject. And now like, Burn's going to be bothering me to talk to you guys. Oh no, you you already, you, you already forwarded their email. I got their email. It's That's over. True. Yeah, you forwarded their email. So now it's over. Anytime, um, man. But appreciate the time, appreciate the candor, appreciate like um the knowledge. For sure. Um really rooting for you guys in the book. I expect it in the mail next week. Um, and by the no, way, if anybody it. listening, sneakerlaw.com and cop the book. Yes, yeah, I was just going to ask you, what, promo yourself. Promo yourself, promo where you can find you, all that stuff. Yeah, sneakerlaw.com. Yeah, sneakerlaw.com, Instagram handle, sneakerlaw, but S-N-K-R-L-A-W, uh, Twitter as well, Facebook, sneakerlaw, uh, follow us everywhere. Appreciate you guys. Yes, thank you guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to follow us on all social channels at The Black Box Pod. The show would not be possible without our team. Special thanks to our producers, Amanda Berkowitz and Katie McGuigan. Our video director, Paul Aspen. Music by Ye Ali. Designed by Lineage Digital. All photos by Jonathan Gabriel Charles. And our production house, Gotham Podcast Studio in New York City. Special shout out to Raul Hernandez. We'll see you guys next time.